So I'm Steve Tharman. I am a special education teacher. I've taught for 19 years. Hey, and I'm Rebecca Thurman. I am also a special education teacher. Um, we also work with REV students, and we believe that kids are our future. At first, we just started off mentoring at ACES. Um, we'd been there a few times to visit, and even with our previous church, we went there a couple of times to just do different things. And we were mentoring a student and just kind of formed a, a relationship, a bond with her. And one day we were just sitting there and Rebecca was like, well, what's your story? To one of the other girls. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you want to know my story? Here's my story, you know, and she just laid it all out. And Rebecca approached me and she's like, well, what do you think about fostering her? And at first I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> We've got our lives set out here. Everything's going great. Why am I going to rock the boat? And God just kind of kept picking at me and picking at me, you know, till he, till he broke that wall down. I got the opportunity recently to, actually today, <laughs> to talk to um, our future daughter's mother. Um, she's in a rough place. She just, she's recovering from a really um, tremendous situation. And I talked to her. Um, she shared her story with me. Um, uh, I got to brush her hair. Um, I know that sounds, you know, silly in a way, but it was huge because no one has brushed her hair. No one has taken care of her. And there I was explaining to her that I wanted to pour into her daughter and invest in her daughter, but having, you know, just the guidance from God that she just needed a, her hairbrush. And she shared with me today that if we could sign the papers today, that she wanted what was best for her daughter and that she knew that Steve and I were what was best. There's such a huge mission field right here. here that we don't have to go anywhere looking for a mission field. Knowing that we can go in and change someone's life and all it takes is a simple step. So students should never be afraid to just take that step when they feel that nudge from God, just do it. Man, such an incredible story, right? Uh, that is so near and dear to us. You may or may not know this, but um, my wife and I, we have two children, one biologically and one through adoption. And so we love to hear those kinds of stories because um, honestly, I, I think that that is where the church has been called biblically and scripturally to step into, to care for widows and orphans. And so we try to live that out in our own family and then also want to always be a church that celebrates that. And so maybe God is tugging on your heart. We've got some opportunities. We always have opportunities for you to live life on mission. And one of those ways, we've got our Santa Saturday coming up where you can buy gift cards that go to our foster families here to help bless them. Uh, and then we've got a foster care group. And then there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that. But maybe one day God will be calling you into doing that as well. And so we wanted to share that story with you. It's amazing to me and exciting to see how God just continues to use people in Revolution Church to live life on mission. And there's all different kinds of ways to do that. And that's why we wanted to share those stories with you. All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to Micah chapter five. I think I might've said Matthew last week, but just know we're in Micah, all right? And so if I ever say Matthew, just know it's a Freudian slip. We're in Micah, all right? So Micah chapter five, 
We're only going to do six verses today because we're actually going to break up these last couple chapters, Micah 5, Micah 6, Micah 7, and do at least two weeks on each one of them because they're so dense and so rich. And what you're going to see today in these verses is this is kind of the ultimate Christmas message, if you will, which is one of the reasons I think the, the Lord wanted us to do it during this season because of just the prophetic uh, message of, of what Christmas is all about. And if there was a message on Christmas, it's these verses because it helps us understand the prophecy about who Jesus is and why it was so significant of what he was going to do. All right. So we're going to be in Micah 5, 1 through 6. Let's pray as always before we get started and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you that here we can read these verses now 2,020 years after the birth of Jesus and know that these verses were written 700 years before that. And so, God, we have a span of almost 3,000 years of, from what was written to what we're reading now, and we can know that in the midst of decades, millennia, you're working. And God, I pray that you would remind us of that because we need to be reminded of that in 2020. We need to be reminded that no matter what is going on around us, that you are in control and you are working a plan. And so God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would help us to see that. And God, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, I pray that you would open their eyes and their ears to see and to hear the truth about who you are and how you want to use this truth in their life to set them free. And for those of us that do know you, God, I pray that we would be strengthened in our faith to know that you're working all things together for good. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Micah chapter 5, let's start with verses 1 and 2, and then we'll break it down. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. This is Micah speaking to Israel, siege is laid against us. With a rod, they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Again, if you haven't been with us, the idea of what's going on here is Israel had split into two nations. We have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, and they're about to be judged and they're about to go into exile. And so God is going to use an unrighteous nation to come in and judge them. And when that happens, they are literally kicked out of their homeland, kicked out of their country, the temple's destroyed, and they are sent off into exile. And so we know literally, and First and Second Kings tells us the story of the kings, but literally the Assyrians uh, army came in, captured the king of the southern kingdom, Judah. They were the last to fall. Zedekiah literally chained him and he died in a prison. And so verse one is talking about that. Like you are about to be taken into exile, and your king, the one whom you trust in, is literally going to get his cheek, not, not slapped, this isn't a cat fight, all right? He is, he is literally about to lose his life. And then verse 2, but you. Now, if you've been around revolution, you know I like conjunctions, all right? Conjunction, junction, what yo? Come on, even if you're watching on TV, let's try that again, all right, for all you sitting in the back or watching at home. Conjunction, junction, what yo? Function. You know I love conjunctions. The best two words in the Bible, but God. The next best two, but you. And so the idea here is God is saying, this is all going to happen, but it's all happening according to my plan. Why? But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are little or too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. 
who, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. Now, those two verses are put together because it's juxtaposing, saying, listen, for far too long, you put your, your trust, your belief in your king. You wanted a king because when they moved into the promise and they weren't going to have a king, but they wanted a king like all the other nations around them. So God gave them Saul, then David, and you know, kind of the line of succession of kings. And so here they are at this point, And he's saying, listen, your king is about to, to, to die. Your king is about to literally be overthrown but I'm going to send you a ruler. And so the idea here, contrasting here is, listen, when you put your trust or belief system in man, it's not going to work. But I have a ruler. If you put your trust in this ruler, then you will be delivered. That's the whole message of this section. And he's setting it up here to say, but you, O Bethlehem, from you is going to come a king. Now, this is important to, to signify because, again, geographically speaking, Jerusalem was the center, right? It was the capital. It was the Washington, D.C., if you will, of Israel. So that is where the king's palace would be. That's where the temple was. That's where the buildings were. That's where the city was. And it's a beautiful, beautiful city. And just south of there, a little over six miles, is Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is the exact opposite of that. Small, you know, today we a quaint, a quaint little town, right? And this is where the shepherds were. This is where, this is, this is the country folk, right? This is the rednecks. This, these are the people who, they're not in the big city. They're, 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 I mean, you don't even, Bethlehem? Like, it's just like a, a flyover area, but not to God. And it's interesting to me that that's the city that he picks. Now, there's a couple huge significances to that city. First and foremost, that is the city of David. That is where the greatest king in Israel's history to this day was from. And so now you have all these prophecies before Micah that said the, 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 this king was going to come in the line of David. So it's very significant that this ruler that God is talking about is actually coming from Bethlehem as well. And so that's significant. There's a couple other things I'll point out to you, but I don't want to get to yet, but I'm just so excited to get to them. I got to hold on. All right. But what I want to point out here first is what seems really small to us is not to God. What seems really insignificant to us is not to God. And this this statement of, but you, Bethlehem, and, and I love how he qualifies it here. You're too little to be among the clans of Judah. You're too small to even be counted among the 12 clans. You're, you're too small to even be significant in the world's eyes. Because and we were talking about last week about swords into plowshares. You know, we don't fight like the world fights. Because if you are going to fight like the world fights, you're going to go to the city centers. You're going to go to the places where all the decisions are made. Well, not God. You're, you're going to go get the most powerful people. You're going to go get the most powerful places. You're going to get the most money, the most stuff, whatever. You're going to attack those places. You're going to go from there. You want to be from there. And God says, well, not me. Because in my kingdom, none of that matters. In my kingdom, it doesn't matter where you're from, who your daddy is, or how much is in your bank account. In my kingdom, 
And in fact, Paul goes so far, and I love this, I don't have it on the screen, but you can, as a reference later, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, God actually says, I'm going to choose the weak things of the world. I'm going to choose the things that nobody would choose, and then I'm going to highlight those. I'm going to exalt those, because when that happens, no one will wonder how in the world did he get there or she get there. And those verses always make me laugh, because... I have to relate that to myself and say, yeah, God did choose the least of those. God did choose the foolish of the world because that's me. You're looking at it, right? People are like, how did you become a pastor? Because I'm from Tyler, Texas, a no place town, and God chose me. But God loves doing that. And that's what I want to point out to you. And so if you're in a season in your life that feels insignificant, know that God sees that. If you feel like, I don't have the education, I'm not the right person, I, I mean, God couldn't use someone like me, I don't have gifts like that, I'm not talented like that, listen, God loves to use things that seem so insignificant to us and highlight them in such a way that make them hugely significant to his timeline of the plan he's working. So Bethlehem, you're so important, why? He goes on, he says, from you shall come forth for me. From you, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Just like David was the king of Israel, now a new king is coming. A new king is coming. And this one is going to be different than all others. Why? Because he has a beginning before he had a beginning. Because he's from of old. And I love this phrase, from ancient days. Now, there's some debate among theologians about what that means. If it's just a reference back to David, he's going to be like David. So we're going way back into the kingdoms here. Like he's going to be like that king. I think personally, it's a reference to the eternity of the person who's about to be ruler. It's very similar to how Daniel talks. There's three different times in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel actually gives the Messiah or the Lord, the king, a title, and he says, ancient of days. It's actually capitalized in your Bible. It's not capitalized here because I just think he's talking about how he already existed before he existed, how he has eternity in him. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Psalm says from everlasting to everlasting. So this ruler, think about this. This ruler, God is going to come out of the most insignificant place. So if God can come out of insignificant places, then don't ever think about a place as insignificant. Don't ever think about a placement in your life as insignificant because you might just meet God there. You might just see God there because Jesus himself came out of Bethlehem. Now, we know of Bethlehem now, and it's a famous place now. And people journey there from all over the world now. And there's actually a church, a church of the nativity, which I'll describe more in just a second, that exists there now where people believe that Jesus was actually born. It's significant now, but why is it significant now? Because God made it significant. God made it significant. And here's what's so important for us to understand. Again, this wasn't, I told you, this wasn't written to us, but it's written for us. The significance for us is simply this. That God is working his plans in ways that don't make any sense to us. God, God loves to do things 
in ways that you were like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, you're not God and I'm not God. Look at verse three. I love this one. He says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time. That's a very significant phrase. Almost titled the message that until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So now he's making reference to this ruler, this king is going to come out of an insignificant place like Bethlehem. He is of old. He's of ancient days, which means this is God who's about to be born. And now he says in verse three, until the time she has given birth. Now, he doesn't tell us here that it's a virgin that gives birth. Isaiah does that, but he does tie it to a birth. He's saying, listen, until that time, until that time, and that phrase is significant because not only did it happen in the place God said it would happen, it happened on the time frame God said it would happen. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter four that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. What that simply means is this. It was no accident that he was born at the place he was born at the time he was born because God was working his plan. Well, why Bethlehem? Why is that significant? Well, here's what's even cooler. It's not only the place that, that David was born, so it was already a city where the greatest king had come from, and it was about to be the city where the greater David was going to come from, but the significance about what was happening in Bethlehem, and I, I didn't know this, honestly, until we visited Israel last year, but Bethlehem was the place where the shepherds were. Bethlehem was the place where they actually raised, they actually raised up the sacrificial lambs that would be killed in the temple. So they would actually raise them in a place that's called the shepherd's fields. Now, we stood there last year and actually took a picture of it, and I've got the picture here on the screen just to show you a little bit what this looks like. So hang with me for a second. I actually captured a goat in the photo because there was a man there who knew that a bunch of Christians come to this spot on the shepherd's field, and he was charging money to take a picture with the goat. I'm like, bro, we'll get a sheep, and maybe we'll talk, right? And so you'll see on the hillside there, that is the shepherd's field. Now, behind that is the city of Bethlehem on the other side of that hill. But in that place is where they would actually raise the sheep that would be sacrificed, the spotless sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple. Now, why do you think God arranged for Jesus to be born there? Because Jesus was going to be born, what was going to make him a great ruler is he was going to become the sacrificial lamb, the spotless one. Now, I'm sure maybe some of you have already set up your Christmas decorations. We've already set up ours. We can have debates about whether that should happen after Thanksgiving, whatever, all right? But when we set those up, we have mangers too, right? Well, here's what's crazy. All your manger scenes are wrong, one of the main reasons is because the mangers in Bethlehem would not have been wooden because the, the material that is prevalent in, the, in Israel is not wood. 
It is stone, which I think one of the reasons why is because God wanted it to be preserved for thousands and thousands of years. That's why there's buildings there still standing that existed during the time of Christ. But the reason why they are wooden in all of our photos and all of our stuff is because hundreds of years later, the Europeans came in and started drawing pictures and their main source of building material was wood. So we have the Europeans to thank for that. But all the mangers were not wooden. They were actually made out of stone. So Jesus, more than likely, that picture that I just showed you, I don't know if you noticed it there, but on the hillside was all these rows of stone. And Jesus would have been born in a cave, cut out. Literally, they would call it a birthing cave. And this is what exists underneath the church of the nativity. And then within that place would have been a trough, what we would call a trough, cut out of stone as well, where you fed and gave water to your animals. They would call it a manger. So Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus, born inside a cave, in a hole in the side of a rock that was cut out and he was put into the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths and then he was going to come out of that place and go change the world. And then interestingly enough, 33 years later, he's now in Jerusalem for Passover. He is crucified and where did they put his body? In a cave, in a tomb that was cut out of rock. And they wrapped his body in the same type of cloth and put him in. So Jesus was born in a cave and Jesus was put in a cave. And he came out of both of them and changed the world. And that's what I want you to see, see the significance. Why does it matter that the manger scene isn't wooden? Because of how it connects to his tomb. And here's what's crazy. Micah prophesied all that would happen 700 years before it happened. And he was born in the very place where they would raise, shepherds would raise the spotless lambs. And here's Jesus born in that place, in a cave, who is going to replace that spotless lamb. This is what makes the Christmas story so unique. This is what makes the Christmas story so epic. There is no other story in any other faith system like that, who has at its center not just a good man who did good stuff, but a God-man who was of ancient days, who was eternal, who was God, who put on flesh, born in the exact same city where the king was born, King David. So therefore, he is in the line of David. So he is kingly lineage and the very city where the sacrificial lambs were born in the very same kind of way that he would also die. And so when you start to put these things together, you're like, holy moly, God, you're blowing my mind. I know it's crazy, right? That's why when we go to the Israel the next time, you need to go. But he goes on, look at this, verse four. And he, what is so important about this guy? And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord 
in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And no, don't miss this. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. See, the reason why I stressed all that as far as a background, as far as a history, as far as connecting the significance of why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. Don't miss this. Also, Jesus's parents didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, which was about a 70-mile journey as the crow flies. It was hard to get there. So how in the world did they get from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy? You know how? God had the king order a census. So God had the king order a census just to show his sovereignty to get his son to the right place to be born. Why? So that you could read verses like four and five and take great comfort in them. Because this guy who was born in this place in this manner at this time in human history is no ordinary guy. He's no ordinary ruler. He's no ordinary king. He's God. And I love this. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Now, I can appreciate some good alliteration. He shall stand and shepherd. Now, this word stand literally means to rise up for the purpose of taking action. You know, that's the theme of our beloved Atlanta Falcons, right? who sometimes can rise up. But this word here, stand, means to rise up for the purpose of taking action. Well, what is that action? He is going to shepherd his flock. A shepherd both cares and tends for the sheep, also has authority over the sheep. And the reason why I'm stressing all these things is because I want you to understand who your shepherd is and what he can do for you. See, I remember growing up, and I, and I talk about my father often because he's one of my greatest heroes in my life. My father was a big man. He shrunk a little bit now. Gravity takes that toll on you over time, right? But he was 6'4", over 300 pounds, wore a size 30, uh, 24 ring. Big dude. Knocked my horse unconscious. I mean, just, I mean, a big guy. And anytime my dad was around, I felt secure. Why? Because I was confident that my dad could beat up your dad. Like, I went to daycare at six weeks old, and I used that line until, I mean, well, I would still use it. Yeah. I'm still confident my dad could beat up your dad. And, and any time my dad was around, man, I felt secure. We grew up deer hunting still. Thanksgiving, I'll go deer hunting with my dad again. And I could be in the woods, and, and where we hunted in South Arkansas, you, you know, Arkansas Razorbacks. And so you would have hogs everywhere, and I was so scared. We'd be in the woods, and I would be, oh, dad, I can't. But my dad was there. And he would walk in front of me, and I'll never forget, because his feet, he, wears, he has big feet too, where he would walk, I would mimic his steps. I would follow right in his steps, because he was right in front of me, and as long as I was with him, in step with him, I was secure. If I was in step with my dad, I had no care in the world. Why? Because of who my dad was. And not just because he was my dad. I mean, I hope everybody feels that way about your dad, but it wasn't just because he was my dad. It's because I had seen him knock my horse unconscious. I had seen him do human feats of strength that no normal man should be able to do. So I was confident. 
you were talking back to me and my dad was around, I'm like, get him. And that's why I want you to see here. Because what do we need to know in 2020? What do we need to know in this crazy political season that our God has got this? That he will stand up and shepherd us in the strength of the Lord. Because if our God can beat up other gods, if our God can organize a national census to get his son to the right city, if our God can prophesy 700 years before the very place and time he would be born and have a star there waiting for the shepherds to see, if our God can do that, then why in the world do you and I freak out so much? Why are we nervous about who's going to be president? Why are we nervous about what's going on in the world around us? Because here's what he says. He will shepherd. They shall dwell secure. So let me say it to you like this. Your security is dependent upon who your shepherd is. Your security is dependent upon who your shepherd is. Now, there's something you need to know about shepherds. They shepherd sheep. Now, there's something you need to know about sheep. Sheep are literally the dumbest animals on the face of the planet. Sheep will literally come to an open gate and just sit there and look and like, I don't know if we can cross. Green grass right there can't cross until the shepherd prods them. So strength have, uh, sheep have no strength in them whatsoever. Again, why does God use the metaphor of sheep to describe us? Because that is us. But our security rests not in the number of sheep, but in who our shepherd is. Because if we have the right shepherd, we will dwell secure. Now, I love this. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. You know what that means? There is no place on earth your shepherd will not stand up for you. There's no circumstance. This is why I love the Psalms when it says darkness is like light to you. No matter how dark in any kind of circumstance that you're in, God's name can overcome that situation to the ends of the earth. There is no circumstance, no season, no place, no person that can overcome the strength of your shepherd. And all this was written 700 years before he showed up on the scene. And then I love this one. And he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. The word their peace is a word that you may have known. You probably heard it before, but it's the Hebrew word shalom. And it means literally prosperity in every area of your life. The idea of shalom, I'm just give you some words here, is being whole, intact, prosperous, peaceful, at ease. I love this one. Unaffectedness. You know, when my peace is eternal, when my peace is my shepherd, when my peace is God, I'm unaffected in any temporary situation. I love that idea. Unaffectedness. You want to know why you and I get so affected by the circumstances around us? Because we forget that peace doesn't exist by us going to a beautiful place. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to beaches and mountains and enjoy it and be peaceful. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But what I'm saying is... When we go to those places, 
we should remind ourselves the person behind those places. We should roll it up and say, God, thank you that you made a place like this. And if I can get peace from listening to ocean waves, what kind of peace can I get from the dude who made the ocean waves? See, peace is not found in a place. It's found in a person. But you got to get the right person. You got to have the right person to get the full amount of peace. Because see, if my peace is wrapped up in a president, then I might feel secure for four years. But if my peace is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, then there is no limit to my peace. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. So that means if God is with us, this is why one of my biggest pet peeves, those of you who've been around, please don't pray anymore for God to be with you. Because if Jesus is in you, if you have trusted Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, he is with you. So what I would rather say is thank God for being with you. Pray, God, help me to be reminded that you are with me. That's a totally fine prayer. But sometimes I wonder if God's like, man, Jesus, they're asking me to be with them again. What else can I do? I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm your shepherd. I am before you, after you, behind you, you know, next to you, inside of you. You got me. And this is why I think it's so important. And again, what I want us to understand is our security, feeling secure, is based upon who our shepherd is. And our shepherd is the prince of peace. And of his kingdom, there is rule forevermore. So no matter what is going on, no matter the circumstance, I'm not saying you can't have doubt. I'm not saying you can't have fear. I'm not saying you can't have anxiety. But when those things come, we have to remind them who our shepherd is. And our peace is found in him. Our peace is found in him. Last two verses, five and six. He says, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will rage, then we will rise against him with shepherds and eight princes of men. Now, let me stop there for a second. A couple things. First, he says, when. When the Assyrian comes, not if they were coming. And I'm going to highlight this in just a second, but it's my job to help you understand. If you want to, to apply this principle to your life, you can apply it like this. When suffering comes into our land, when trials come into our land, when enemies come into our land and tread in our palaces, it's not if, church, it's when. If you haven't been in a crisis, just wait. You'll be in one. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Make me feel great. It's not when, it's if. But this is why I'm telling you this, so that when it comes, you're ready. You're prepared. And then I love this. He says, when they come, then we will race against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Now, Normally, when somebody comes in to fight you, you don't send out your shepherds. You don't, your princes literally hear the word means leader. Here, here's where I, I thought this was funny and why I want to highlight it. Remember last week I said, we don't fight with swords. We fight with plowshares. We have different. We have the sword of the spirit. You want to know the best defense you can have 
against enemies coming into your life and try to get you to disbelieve, it's good shepherds. It's good pastors. The best defense that you can have in your life is good pastors, good shepherds, good leaders that will shepherd you in a way to prepare you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for the suffering, for the trial. The worst thing that you can have is a friend that tells you to fight the way the world fights, to rise up. That's why I think it's funny. He says, that's why I keep saying rise against him. When they come in with swords, we're going out with Bibles, right? When they come in to attack, we're going out with love. When they come in to slander, we're going out with encouragement. See, that's what good shepherds do. And I'm not trying to highlight the fact to you that I'm a good shepherd. I'm just trying to show you this is what I'm aspiring to be and why I am telling you this, because the best defense you and I can have for the lies that are going on in our world is someone who's telling you the truth. And so the best defense that we can have are pastors, Christians, brothers and sisters who will shepherd us well with the truths of who God says he is and what he's doing. I love that. Now he goes on verse six. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword. This is what I was referring to. The Assyrians, the enemies are going to come in and they're going to attack. They're coming in with swords and in the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Now, the word here, Nimrod, the Hebrew word means skillful hunter. In English now, it means an inept person. So we use that in language now to say, you Nimrod, we're saying you're a dumb person. So I thought that was funny because what does that mean? Only people who fight with swords are Nimrods. People, listen to me. People who are attacked and pull out swords are Nimrods because they fail to see the real attack. They fail to see the spiritual power behind the person who's attacking them. And so when you pull out your sword, like we talked about last week, and start cutting off everybody's ears because you feel justified in your anger... You're a Nimrod. But what do we do? Look at this. Nimrod's at its entrances. entrances. Look at this last part. And he, he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. What is Micah saying there? He's saying, listen, the enemy's coming and he's going to invade your space. He's coming within your house He's coming within your marriage. And those of you who are married and you've been married longer than six months, you know this. Because the first six months, he wasn't there. It was all good. And all of a sudden, your husband shows up and you're like, who the heck are you? You are not the dude I married six months ago. Enemy is there. Church, I want you to hear me. The enemy will show up in your family. He will show up in our church. He will show up through divisive people. He will show up through all kinds of things. He is coming within our borders. And you need to be prepared for that. I need to be prepared for that. But what is our best defense? Under shepherds who point us back to the over shepherd. 
People who will love us enough to call us back to who our prince is, to call us back to who our king is, to call us back to who our shepherd is. And who is he? It is he who shall deliver us. That is the title of my message. He shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. You know, when the enemy shows up within your gates, what you need to do is not pull your sword out and start fighting, but it's to remind your enemy who your God is. It's to remind the spiritual forces of evil who the ancient of days is, who the God is that made him. Because trust me, church, they know him. They know him. And they are subject to him. So you have no power outside of the name of Jesus. But in the name of Jesus, you have all power. Literally. And so here's what we need to remind ourselves. Oh, you're going to come inside my camp? Let me tell you who else is in my camp. That's the story of Christmas. Why was Jesus born? To show us in physical form that he came. How can you be so sure that he's going to come again? Because he came once. He didn't lie the first time. He ain't lying the second time. And if we're not careful, again, this whole already not, ten, not yet tension that we talked about last week, you can be so convinced by the lies of the enemy that God has forgotten you and that you're living in Bethlehem, the land of insignificance. That he's forgotten you. Look at you. This is falling apart. This is falling apart. You lost your job. You lost your health. You lost your friends. Church ain't even meeting for six months in person. Look at you. You're so helpless. And that's when you remind your enemy, you're right, I am helpless. But you know who my dad is? And he shall deliver me. Because he's my shepherd. See, the whole story of Christmas is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Micah chapter 5. To show us that God cares about us so much, he will come. He came within our borders. He showed up within, as Hebrews says, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because we had flesh. And so for us to see him and know him and touch him and understand that if he's with us, he'll deliver us. So let me end with this. I got a point and it's on the screen. But I'm going to give you some time, and I want you to think about this. But here's my point. He shall deliver us from blank. He shall deliver us from blank. You can fulfill that, or you can fill that in later. But I want you to remind us. I want you to remind yourself that whatever it is that you're going through, he shall deliver you from it. So he shall deliver me from fear. He shall deliver me from anxiety. He shall deliver me from uncertainty. He shall deliver me from death. He shall deliver me from whatever it is. Because your shepherd has overcome your greatest enemy, which is death. And if he's overcome that, as Paul says, will he not also give us all things? If he gave us his son, will he not also give us life? peace, security, we can dwell secure in him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the fact that 700 years before Jesus was born, you prophesied the exact place and time that he would be born. You lined up the events of human history to get him to the place where the lineage that he was born to, the the king lineage, the royal lineage that he was to be born into, the family of David, he, he was born in the place of David. He was born in a cave, a place cut out of the rock. He was wrapped in clothes, signifying the type of burial he would have. And in the same way he came out of the The cave when he was born, he came out of the cave when he was reborn. He was born in the exact same place where the sacrificial lambs were raised and the spotless ones would be taken to Jerusalem and sacrificed and and their blood would atone for the sins of the people. And that's exactly the same journey he would take. God, there's all these things that are so significant, and I pray that they would help us to see that no matter what is going on in 2020, you're working your plan. And so we can dwell secure if we have Jesus as our shepherd. So God, I pray right now for maybe some people who don't know Jesus like that who have never seen and understood. We haven't even talked about all the prophecies. But God, if they want to have that peace, to have that security of knowing that they will be delivered if they are in relationship with the deliverer. And God, thank you how you said in Micah that when Jesus was born, all his brothers would return. And so today, God, if we are a brother of Christ, if we are in Christ, we are a part of the remnant. We are a part of the group that is in the family of God. And so God, I pray if there's anybody right here who wants to join that family, they would do so right now. If you're in one of our locations, you don't have to look around or talking. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Christ you're watching online, you can pray with me as well if you want to trust Christ. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus to be my king, to be my God, to deliver me from the power of sin and death. So I ask you to save me, forgive me, I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking if you're online. If you just trusted Christ and you're one of our locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We have a gift we want to give you. Thank you. In a moment, you'll have an opportunity to text us your information. But then those of us who have trusted Christ, I hope that a message about Christmas about a baby being born in a manger would remind you that he will deliver you. 
He will deliver you from whatever trial the enemy has brought inside your camp. Because he will. And when the enemy comes, you better know the truth. You better have the sword of the spirit, the word of the God, uh, the word of God. You better have the word and speak back to him and say, you can come at me with that, but I'm going to come at you with the word of God. And my God shall deliver me from this. God, I pray that you would increase our faith today. You would increase our faith and remind us of who you are. You are the ancient of days, born in the fullness of time, in the exact place, in the exact time. And you did that for us. So we can dwell secure because our shepherd has stood up out of the grave and will overcome every enemy. And so if we have you, if we walk in your steps, we're secure. Thank you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.